Made in the Trade, Doctor Strange, Way of the Weird. All right, Ryan Gelodi has returned. You may remember him from the Walt Simonson Visionaries story arc we discussed years ago. Yeah. Uh, a, a very early episode. Thank you for having me back. And welcome back. We are now discussing the new Doctor Strange series that debuted in 2015. And this trade only covers the first five issues, and they titled it The Way of the Weird. Uh... First of all, Ryan, you read this before I did. So what drew you to this story? What made it stick out in your mind? I have always been a, a Doctor Strange fan. So when they launched a new title, I was lured in by that. And I'm enjoying it. The writing style is much different than what we've seen from Doctor Strange in the past. Because he's always been very stoic, very by the book, wizened, but he's never been down to earth like he's written in these issues. Jason Aaron is the writer who I first became aware of on his Thor run. Oh, okay. So we saw Thor as a um, strapping young Viking god, uh, and then we would flash forward to the extreme future when he was uh, the All-Father. Oddly enough, both of those were that same kind of down-to-earth feel for that character. So Doctor Strange, issue mm -hmm. one of this, Yep, he's already doing battle with some random interdimensional creatures. Already, you read the the dialogue, and he's like, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna kid you by saying that I don't love this, right? And it's it's more of along the lines of like, kind of how Spider Man would talk mm -hmm. during a conflict than I'm used to Doctor Strange talking. But once you separate yourself from, oh, this isn't maybe congruent to what you know of the character. It is very captivating. It, it, it brings you in because, yeah, you do want someone who you can actually relate to in your series. And uh, that's that's what struck me about this the most. So the cold open is him fighting. And then we later find out when at the sort of the end of that cold open that the whole thing took place sort of inside the uh, the astral plane around this child that mm -hmm. the, the parents had summoned Doctor Strange to help. So sort of like a, a possession, demonic right. possession kind of thing. Mm hmm. Um, and yeah, it was. Uh, you, I like the analogy of the the Spider Man. He's kind of quipping, and he does. He kind of quips both with the reader because he's speaking directly to the reader, mm -hmm. and then he also quips with the uh, the bad guys as well, um, uh, talking about how they're not not welcome here, and he's the one that's gonna show him show him the door. Right. So he saves this kid, and then he's heading back to his home. And then you see the world through his eyes. He sees interdimensional parasites everywhere. Uh, he spots them on people, on inanimate objects, whatever. And it seems like his daily life is just him battling anything that is an immediate danger to our world, but letting stuff that's not just be part of the natural order. Yeah, like if you're um, responsible for uh, maintaining a wildlife preserve... Uh, you're going to let most of the things do their things. It's only the ones that get out of hand that you're going to have to put down. And then you get a glimpse of his interdimensional uh, off time where he's at this bar 
mm-hmm. and he's settling down with other Marvel mystics. You have Scarlet Witch, bro, uh, Doctor Voodoo, formerly Brother Voodoo, the Shaman who's from Alpha Flight, mm-hmm. and then there's even uh, an old magician from like Golden Era Marvel. Yeah, who's so there too. Uh, Monaco, uh, mm-hmm. Monaco, Prince of Magic. Um, I didn't know anything about him until I encountered this series. Me neither. And I, I went back and f- tried to figure out where he came from. Um, and he first showed up in the in 1940. They used him as a bridge between that sort of old world and uh, and the newer characters. Although Doctor Strange isn't really a new character. Well, he predates the modern Marvel universe. So. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 1940s. Whereas the Marvel Universe was introduced in 1961. Basically, for the sake of the story, he's a wizened wizard. He may not be as powerful as his peers, but he's got experience. Further on into the story, Doctor Strange goes back to the uh, Sanctorum, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. And he encounters someone who's in need of his help. Her name is Zelma Stanton. Right. And she has what are called soul eaters inside of her, as depicted by... A uh, an, an animated mouth on the scalp of her head. Right, she's growing weird tentacle mouths out of the side of her head, uh, which Doctor Strange, you know, tries to play it cool. Like, yeah, I see this kind of thing all the time. And then we get the the sort of the joke. Uh, I've never seen this before, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, so she's an uh, interesting character that they set up. Uh, they they use her throughout the series and continuing past the series as well. Um, she is a librarian, uh, yes. so we'll see more of her librarian skills put to use. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she also serves that convenient, here's a person that we can explain stuff to so that we can explain stuff to the audience as well. Right. Uh, the Doctor Who companion, if you will. Yeah, very, very good comparison, mm-hmm. yes. So, yeah, she knows nothing about mysticism, and she's like, what is this, what is that? And Doctor Strange introducing everything. So the soul eaters that are a part of her, they, they burst out of her head. And they just go out of control all over the the sanctum, which is another fun convention because it gives us uh, it literally gives us a tour of the sanctum sanctorum, um, and uh, we get to see uh, the the writer is laying down some groundwork stuff. He's uh, he mentions the thing in the basement. There's something in the basement that we're not supposed to know about, which of course means we're going to know about it. We get to see his kitchen, and we get to see um, we get introduced to Wong. Wong is an invaluable aide and friend to uh, Doctor Strange. Mm -hmm. So in this second issue, they are trying to wrangle up all of the soul eaters. Zelma has to reveal the darkest secrets that she has been holding all this time. The soul eaters all congregate in their area and and Doctor Strange absorbs them into his body. And he says that they'll be fine there because he is such a powerful sorcerer and he has all these psychic shields around his mind that uh, they shouldn't do him any harm. I guess problem solved. Laying the groundwork for the story to come. Why are they there in the first place? There is something else in the bigger picture that is occurring that is making these uh, interdimensional creatures um, uh, flee into populated areas. But in the next issue, there are these slugs that munch on anything that's magical any any sort of magic they, they feed off of and there usually isn't a large amount in our dimension but now there's just these herds of them and, and Doctor Strange is battling them in the astral plane of Central Park and he has to 
reach into his astral form, pull out his heart, I believe, and he uses it as this magic bomb which explodes in New York City. The effect on the real world is it causes everyone to vomit simultaneously. <laughs> I want to bring up the fact that uh, when this battle starts, it's, it's again, it's kind of a, a cold open in the middle of the book where um, he's naked in the astral plane fighting these creatures. It's a fun gimmick to have your, your main character has nothing on him. He's got no equipment. He's got no protection. And there's... Uh, psychologically, there's the extra vulnerability of, oh, you're naked in a public place. Once again, it is trying to counteract the image of Doctor Strange that you know, which is he's always in control. He always has some sort of incantation that he can pull from, or he's always smarter than his scenario you know, requires. Whereas we're seeing him very vulnerable. He's usually running for his life half the time. Yeah, there's a lot of like panic and running away it's almost like the the new star trek with the new captain kirk is constantly running from danger right and now you're seeing that with dr strange and it definitely evokes the the idea of this character's fallible he's not perfect and yes he he could die because he's not fully competent necessarily there's this technological menace that is destroying magic. In fact, in the epilogue of previous issues to this, there were Sorcerer Supremes of other dimensions that are being killed by this group, and they're called the... Im the Empirical, yes. Yeah. And now in issue four... We, uh, we also learn that there is a downside of using magic. We have a flashback in this story about the Ancient One, his old master, and he's telling him to punch him as hard as he can, but his hands had been damaged in his origin story, the, uh, the car accident. Right. And he punches him, and he, it causes him extreme pain. He's like, ah, those... those pretty much what I expected, but that's, that's horrible feeling. And he's like, that's what it is to use magic. So there is always a downside to using magic. It is costing you your health, your, your physical well-being, And that is, becomes an ongoing theme in this story. Yeah. That's always a, that's always a, a theme in, um, not always, but typically a theme in, uh, most interpretations of magic is that there is a cost to it. And in fact, um, Monaco, the Prince of Magic, he comes back to that numerous times. That seems to be the main thing he says over and over again is there's always a cost. And Doctor Strange, you're not paying your cost. Uh, magic isn't free and there's a, a price that you have to pay and someone has to pay that price. Wong might be part of that as well, might be helping him pay that cost. We get a scene where uh, Wong uh, visits a monastery uh, in the mountains of somewhere i'm guessing the himalayas which mm -hmm. is where the doctor strange origin story takes place um he visits the monastery and we see that there are uh Di wong's has disciples who are literally lined up um to physically suffer the consequences of magic that doctor strange is doing on earth mm. so um we see them uh, uh they, they kind of have that sort of uh, classic you know monks in a monastery look to them um but then they're suffering and then we also figure out that uh wong has been doing this behind dr strange's back presumably for as long as dr strange has been dr strange hmm so um which kind of explains why we haven't heard about this up to this point right. 
No, I take that back. Not no. for as long as Doctor Strange has been Doctor Strange. Be- okay. Because there's a another we get another interstitial flashback in here of Doctor Strange using Atlantean black magic, mm-hmm. and that um, that gives us really high cost for Doctor Strange. He can't. He suffers tremendously for using this black magic. That's um, the one that makes his eyes bleed. That makes his eyes bleed, and mm-hmm. Doctor Strange says. Take me to the basement. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm gonna do the basement thing, mm-hmm. hinting at that thing in the basement again. Yes. Um, and Wong says, "Sure, boss, I'll do that." Mm-hmm. And then does a little bait and switch, and instead of taking him to the basement to do that thing, he sets him up with the the disciples who are suffering uh, for him in the Himalayas instead. In issue four, we end up uh, somewhere under the Indian Sea where he goes to the tomb of Watum. Mm-hmm. It's under the Indian Ocean. And that's where he first discovers the Empirical's technology that can disrupt magic. Ending on the last page where there are the witch hunter wolves, which were used in previous issues to kill the other Sorcerer Supremes in other dimensions. I like jumping back to the uh, the Sorcerer Supremes from other dimensions. I mm-hmm. like some of the, the little... Uh, uh, nuggets they threw in there that the writer throws in referencing these other dimensions equivalents of what we have in the the Marvel 616 mm-hmm. um, which is uh, uh, one of the the one of the Sorcerer Supremes says something about uh, it's basically the name Agamotto but it's slightly different spelling mm-hmm. and it's, it's a, whatever their dimensions version of Agamotto is right um they mention uh, a couple of the side characters. Uh, they throw out some names, friends of this uh, other dimensions, uh, Sorcerer Supreme, and one of them is the Crimson Gypsy, mm. uh, who is obviously supposed to be the Scarlet Witch or right. their version of the Scarlet Witch. Mm-hmm. These uh, the Witch Hunter wolves that are on this cliffhanger of this page of the of the fourth issue. Um, they're the ones that have been going to these other dimensions, killing the uh, the magic users of these other dimensions. So we'll move on to the next, well, the final issue of this trade. Mm -hmm. There's plenty of issues after this Mm -hmm. if you feel that this is an unsatisfying ending. And spoiler alert, it's kind of an unsatisfying ending. But the reason why it's titled Way of the Weird, I think, is because these first five issues do introduce you to the new Doctor Strange, the new realm of magic, uh, like the, the new way of telling the story, essentially. But you're getting a lot of details and introduction to everything here. So this is the Way of the Weird. Strange warns through magic the that every magic user in our dimension needs to be aware of the dangers posed by this new threat of the empirical. And eventually in this story, the Himalayas are attacked by the witch hunter wolves and magic is failing Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange is trying to cast spells. They're fizzling out. Even the old standbys, the Crimson Bands of Sederach mm-hmm. and, and other stuff that always seem to work. And now, flash forward to the light, last line of the, the book, which is Doctor Strange never thought he would have to protect magic itself because he had always used magic to protect our dimension. Now it's magic itself that is under attack. Now, I've skipped over a lot of stuff, so we can fill in the <laughs> blanks 
<laughs> right. We don't we over. don't want to give away the entire book, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's a lot of stuff where the the, the sidekicks are, are kind of being rallied around. And I think the, the sidekicks are used well, sidekicks, but these are all heroes in their own uh, uh, in their own uh, right. But uh, I, maybe is it outside of this trade where they start to take up arms against the empirical? I think that's later, right? Yeah, there's coming up coming up in the in the run. Um, they basically they put together a band of uh, spellcasters uh, of magic types, and they go and they quest. Uh, you know, they go find the MacGuffin of the week to defeat their their threat. Mm-hmm. Um, I. So it's interesting. Uh, I think the I think the trade as a whole, even though it doesn't have a satisfying conclusion to the empirical storyline, I think it's a great job of setting up who Doctor Strange is. Mm-hmm. Um, it does a great job of laying the groundwork for. Uh, again, I, I I always try to look at these things from, especially when you start with an issue one. I try to look at it from a new reader, don't know anything about the character, don't anything about the the, the Marvel universe. I think it does a good job of establishing who this guy is mm-hmm. and it does a good job of establishing who some of the ex- I don't want to say extraneous who some of the um the, the secondary characters, secondary characters mm-hmm. around him are mm-hmm. um certainly you know someone like Scarlet Witch who literally has her own title at this time mm. um you know she's not a secondary character but uh she's a, a a secondary character in this book right so it's yeah it's good to see who these characters are mm-hmm. um, and the introduction of this new character Zelma mm-hmm. who like you said she's there as a complete unknown she so you can even if you've never read another Marvel comic if she asks a question you know it could be something that even a Marvel reader could be able to answer but most of these questions are stuff that most people probably wouldn't know the answer to necessarily but it is it is cool to have this character in there to to ask the questions that uh, an inexperienced reader might have. So I, um, it's also neat for, um, for longtime fans. Mm -hmm. Uh, she asks a couple of questions that I'm sure longtime fans have never thought to ask. Mm. Um, we get into Dr. Strange's, uh, dietary habits at one point. Yes. And that's pretty neat. It's a nice little touch that, uh, it's something that I don't, to my knowledge has never been addressed, addressed for Dr. Strange before. Mm -hmm. Um, but we get a good sense of, uh, uh, how weird he really is because of the life that he leads. Um, he does have to have alternate dietary requirements. <laughs> so much like what we said that there's a physical toll on his body because of this use of black magic. It's it's everywhere. Like it's even in his dietary needs. Right. He can't eat regular food anymore. He has to eat mystical food, which is like you know, horrifying and disgusting. It's like moving tentacles and lots of eyeballs. Yes. <laughs> eyeballs and tentacles <laughs> can sum it up. It's a lot of weirdness, creepiness. I think anyone who's into oddities, whether you're into Marvel comics or not, like this might pull you in. I might recommend this to someone who doesn't normally read comic books. So uh, we talked a lot about the writer of the book. Uh, what did you think of the art style in this book? I thought it was interesting. It was unique, uh, like the writing style. Uh, I liked that it was comical. You So you had expressions on characters' faces like Doctor Strange and others reacting to the, the things that are happening in a comical way. Uh, also, it's unorthodox. The, the way that things are drawn and, and such... 
So similar to the to what the the storylines introducing very unusual creatures we're seeing for the first time and i i just i like that it was it was like walking the line between a comical take on stuff and a almost horrific take on things as well what, what was your opinion on the yeah artwork? the the art it's very fun mm-hmm. uh, but at the same time it is depicting uh, these horrific mind-bending monsters there's tentacles and more eyeballs and um, but uh, it kind of reminded me of um, the fun of like an old horror comic mm. uh, like an old EC horrors uh, EC comics horror mm-hmm. book um, so yeah it's I don't want to say it's cartoony um, mm-hmm. but there are, uh, maybe it's a little cartoony, maybe, um, <laughs> some aspects of it are cartoony. <laughs> yeah. So you get, you know, uh, silly, weird little monsters that look kind of funny doing kind of funny things like mm-hmm. trying to open a refrigerator. Right. And, um, uh, it makes for a fun, fun bit of storytelling. Yeah. To some of the classic Dr. Strange artists, just enough to go, Hey, remember this, uh, this is a, a thing that we like about Dr. Strange. Um, and then at the same time, like you said, puts a new spin on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does. You, you brought up a great point. It does have that um, f- fun is, right. a, is a good word I would sure. use for it. Mm-hmm. Even though it is, you're looking at s- terrifying monstrosities uh, from Doctor Strange's point of view. For the reader's point of view, it's like these are still kind of fun in the way that they're drawn, the way that they're depicted. Um, sort of like an old school uh, horror comic, like an old EC horror comic is. Um, there's a little bit of I don't want to say silliness to it. There is though. But yeah, you're right. And especially, is, yeah. um, we we don't really know too much about the empirical in this trade. Mm-hmm. Later on, we get to know a little bit more about not only the leader but like these underlings, robot things, and they have some dialogue I think maybe in this story. But as I read these characters more, the 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 robot slash they're cyborgs I guess essentially because there's sure, some yeah. organics to them. They, I keep hearing the voice of the the battle droids from the prequels, Star Wars. <laughs> right, right. In their voice, because like they they do horrible things, but they seem kind of boneheaded and yeah. and and not you know the infallible computer you would expect them to be. Right, I could see that. Yeah, uh, that's. Uh, but you know, so if you know the battle droids from Star Wars, you know that the they're they're a bit comical, and uh, these characters can be that way too. That's what I think is is the interesting is how this book walks the line between something that could potentially be horrific and something that's lighthearted and comical. So there are these things that threaten people's lives and their spirituality. And yet the strange is like kind of pats them on the head and like, that's, that's just Randall, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, not only does the art support that, but the, like you said, the writing supports that too. Mm-hmm. Um, even uh, Zelma Stanton, who is our librarian stand in for the reader. Mm-hmm. Uh, she even kind of quips occasionally about mm-hmm. some of the weirdness that she sees. Right. Um, she doesn't seem all that phased by it. Yeah. Um, she openly admits it's weird and, and, and scary, but at the same time she seems to be, in for a penny, in for a pound. Mm-hmm. And Wong is kind of like fleshed out more in this story than we've seen him in the past. Um, I'm not familiar with a lot of Doctor Strange stories, but I've always interpreted Wong as a very two-dimensional character. He's kind of just there. We really don't know his opinion on stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, he just is is loyal to Doctor Strange, and that's that's all I ever knew about him. 
Sure, sure. Um, if you're interested in more Please. Wong stuff, um, I would point you at the uh, the Doctor Strange trade, The Oath. Okay. Um, which deals a lot with uh, Wong's relationship with Doctor Strange and vice versa. And uh, in that um, in that trade, uh, the oath in the title refers to both uh, sort of Wong's dedication to helping Doctor Strange and to Doctor Strange's dedication to helping everyone, uh, mm-hmm. specifically even the Hippocratic Oath that he would have taken as a surgeon. Right. Um, and what that means. Uh, so, yeah, it's a, that is a good one. Mm-hmm. The Oath. Yeah. Another, another good Doctor Strange I will story. look into that. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in. we got more episodes coming up. So please subscribe to Made in the Trade. All right, we're back after the end of the episode. So this is our epilogue. Ryan and I actually saw the Doctor Strange movies movie when it came out. And so, Ryan, your your overall take on the Doctor Strange movie? Of the movie, I loved it. I thought it was great. Um, it hit all of the, the, the notes that I wanted it to hit. Um, it referenced uh, enough of the art style. Um, you know, this, the old Steve Ditko weird extra-dimensional planes we got scenes of that um we got lots of references to uh some of the various uh, objects that exist in the marvel universe that dr strange associates with um i loved it i thought it was great mm-hmm. and also that uh see i don't think i'd read this story yet the the comic book we just reviewed mm-hmm. and so benedict Cumberbatch was kind of my first take on Doctor Strange being a relatable character. Okay. And I think other people have pointed out that this story likely inspired what went into the movie in many ways. Yeah, I'm sure that um, the moment that they go into production on a movie, even, you know, pre-pre-pre-production on a movie, I'm sure the the Marvel upper management, for lack of a better word, is, mm-hmm. you know, has to sort of create a... Here's a, a comic to go along with the movie. The The movie's going to generate interest in the comics. Right. So let's have a comic ready that's accessible for um, the new fans coming in. Okay. And then and vice versa. I think, right. you know, here, here's our chance to put out some comics that can get people excited about the movie coming as well. So potentially they were like, okay, this is how we're going to approach this movie. Mm-hmm. We need to make it accessible to a general movie going audience. So, hey, you comic book writers make the storyline accessible to a general public versus what we've been used to Dr. Strange being in the past, which is like, yeah, 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 of course, this is the Marvel universe. You're supposed to accept that there's these dark dimensions and this, you know, the crimson bands of Sidorak and all that stuff. Yeah. And you also, I think you have to, um, there has to be a, a, an element both for the comics and for the movies uh, moving forward, I think I don't want to say you have to depower the character, but you have to take away some of his um, literally world-altering abilities. That yeah. He can hey, there's a problem. Oh, I snapped my fingers, and the problem is fixed. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And that's what we do in this story is he at the very end, he loses his power. Oh, of the of the trade, yeah, of this trade, of uh, the trade, and then oh. especially it's the epilogue. I know. <laughs> Sorry, not the not the story of the movie, but the the, the trade. But movie, yes, trade. Yeah, it's a keep the, they're they blending <laughs> together. Um, yeah. So yeah, the this trade, and then moving into the next trade that would follow after this one, we'll see. He starts to get yeah, he starts to lose his power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but in the in the movie, uh, it's where he's gaining his power. He starts off with no power. Right. We, so. we get an origin story. Right. It's uh, I I thought it was it was cool. It was fun. It the the criticism of the movie of the storyline is because you have to have an origin story, right? You have to introduce this character and in introducing the character, you have to dedicate time to that and not just the overall story arc. Oh, you need to have a, a conflict and a resolution. And by the way, we need to raise the stakes so high because it, because high stakes are better. Um, whereas in the original origin story, it's not like the entire universe was at, at danger. It was just the mentor of Dr. Strange was in danger in right. the, in the comic book origin. Yeah. So now in the movie origin, the, the mentor dies spoilers, excuse me. And <laughs> that's part of the origin. Yeah. That's part of the origin. And then also is arch nemesis from another dimension. He uh, has to, um, fight yeah he has to directly confront Dormammu yes and uh so we need to see that and we need to uh establish all of that in your two-hour movie mm-hmm. and they did a great job of yeah it. I thought it was a good job yeah. it's um I think the next time like when they do a sequel uh they they the sequels in these cases when you have the origin story I think always benefit from having the origin out of the way yeah now you can have a more succinct beginning middle and end that is that is all Related to each other. Yeah, in in Ryan's fantasy world, I would love to see a superhero movie, a comic book movie, done with a character we haven't seen before without an origin story. Just mm-hmm. dive in and like, here's here's a comic book character. He can do these t- couple of things, and then go with the story with no origin story whatsoever. I would love to see that. However, mm-hmm. of all the comic book characters, Doctor Strange is one that I think you can't do that with. It's it's a great origin. Yeah. It's such a great origin story, you know. It's it's you you start off as this cocky uh surgeon and it's like I've not seen a surgeon be a superhero outside of Doctor Strange. Right. So then he he goes through this great story arc of just thinking so highly of himself, him being worshipped by his peers. And then he has has this fall from grace and then through a very unrelated means goes back to being a hero, but he's also humbled. So his powers increased, but his ego's not. I thought it was really cool. Yeah, it was a, a great job of telling that story. I like um uh, I like that Marvel movies have kind of cracked the code as mm-hmm. well. And, and the code being, hey, when you make these multi-million dollar uh, big budget you know blockbuster films um, maybe put really good actors in roles even relatively minor roles um, and let them do their thing as opposed to just relying on an action star right Um, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch is a fantastic actor but Mm -hmm. even then the cast that surrounds him um, uh, they're all really 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 good actors right and the storylines they're they're written in a way that gives you a new character introduces you to a new character makes them relatable mm-hmm. but they're all relatable in somewhat different ways definitely different scenarios you know everyone's 
Iron Man, Captain America, Doctor Strange, like it's completely different scenarios, but they all start from a point of an, oh, what's the word? A, a, a not perfect, you know, life. And then, of course, they evolve into becoming superheroes. Right. Um, yeah. Anything else you'd like to add? Uh, I give the movie uh, four stars. Out of that sounds five, fair. Yeah, scale I'd say just made up four four <laughs> four out of five sounds good to me too. Yeah, it was a it was very enjoyable. I would I'd likely see it again. Um, that that fifth star. It's it's not a perfect movie, but uh, but it's it's entertaining. Yep. And and it's certainly a character we've been familiar with for quite some time now. It's good to see that the rest of the public now knows who he is. Excellent. All right. Thank you. Thank you. 